Hello, my name is Mamadou Joe, and this is the Impact Podcast. This podcast is where the voices of the everyday are brought to light to hear about not only their fields of interest, but also how these individuals are really driving impact and influencing those around them. If you have Instagram, please follow the Impact Pod and check out my website, theimpactpod.com, for more information on the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. With unprecedented success disrupting the cycle of poverty and achieving landmark results in education, health and social development, and founder of the Institute for Urban Leadership, George Caldoun has for 20 years implemented strategic innovations, developing leaders and an educational pipeline from prenatal through college in distressed communities. A current trustee at Bowdoin College and a part of the board for NYU's leadership initiative, I reconnected with George to gain more insight into his world and impact through education as the co-founder of the Harlem Children's Zone alongside Jeffrey Canada. First question that I wanted to ask you uh, was, what is your story with education and what got you so invested and interested in it? Well, what got me interested um, in education was when I was, right before I went to college, actually, uh, when I was able to see or I realized that there were a lot of Black kids not uh, achieving in school and, and in some cases didn't have a desire to uh, a- achieve in school. And then I, uh, when I was getting ready to go to high school, um, no, fin- when I was finishing high school and um, I had read and heard something where Malcolm X talked about how education is, to, is the key to freedom. And me being uh, growing up in the 70s and late 60s, uh, the liberation of black people was important to me. And so I realized the uh, importance of education. And and I noticed that a lot of our people were not being educated. And so that um, motivated me uh, to decide to uh, look into uh, education in terms of a liberation, a liberating uh, concept. Um, so I began to do some reading even before I went to college about uh, the different theories around education. And uh, and so once I got to Bowdoin, I really focused on government and international relations mm-hmm. and, and economics. So I realized that in order to to be of service, you must have a skill. Mm. And Bowdoin afforded me the opportunity to gain those skills, which would allow me to use them later on in terms of uh, creating an educational institution and also interacting with uh, young people in the inner cities. After graduating from Bowdoin, I had won a, fe- a Watson Fellowship, uh, which afforded me the opportunity to go to Africa and, uh, and I was studying uh, politics in the Sudan. Uh, and I noticed there also was an issue around education. And it, and it was a problem um, there. And when I was at the London School of Economics temporarily, I was talking to a number of my colleagues from, from the continent, from the African continent. Uh, certain themes seemed to really pop up. And it was about you know, how do you create institutions that are beneficial? Growing up in obviously neighborhoods where people don't have the exact same opportunities and everything else. Um, and basically as the co-founder of the Harlem Children's Zone and 
you've held a, a plethora of crucial roles uh, throughout that time period, just such as being the chief operating officer and then launching over 21 programs. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, what was your source of motivation while doing a lot of that thoughtful but difficult work? Uh, I didn't start the Harlem Children's Zone or get into creating an institution right away. Uh, after coming back from the Sudan, I, I taught, I um, worked a little bit while on Wall Street. I got married. Um, and then after a few years, number of years, I decided to get my master's from Columbia University's Teachers College. And, and during that time, I was really focusing on the theory of education and, and how you actually uh, put together institutions. Um, upon getting my degree, I happened to run into Jeff Canada, who, who had just started what we, at, at that time, an organization called Reedland, which morphed into the Harlem Children's Zone. And we were talking about how um, there's an opportunity here to really uh, bring to fruition uh, the concepts that he and I, and also Ken Chanel, he was my sweet mate uh, when I was at Bowdoin, who actually he went into business and worked at American Express for a while. But in any event, the whole question of Ed- educating people and, and developing institutions. Uh, Jeff Canada uh, uh, created the framework for that, which allowed him and I to really focus on innovative ways in which we could um, improve the quality of education for young people. And one of the things that was really uh, profound in terms of our development, we realized that you know, black and brown kids um, grow up before they get to kindergarten, they're behind three years. And so we realized that we had to begin early. And we started a pre-K program, uh, which where we taught children in English, Spanish, and French. And every year, those kids started kindergarten on grade level. Previous to that, majority of black kids, in particular Latino kids, were starting school two years or three years behind. So we developed a curriculum uh, which would allow these children to graduate or move from preschool into elementary school on grade level or above grade level. So that was really important, uh, a real intellectual breakthrough, uh, because at that time there were no uh, institutions uh, starting so early, uh, and even in today, there's very few schools or institutions that do that. Mm, no, thank you for that. That's one that's very fascinating, and, and throughout that whole journey and experience, it sounds like there was definitely a lot of um, learning, growth, and just uh, figuring things out as they went along. And this is just out of curiosity, but who could you name anyone that was a big mentor? Um, for you as you were kind of navigating Bowdoin. You said you went to the London School of Economics, so you're doing a lot of really big things and probably a lot of firsts as well, too. So was there anyone in top of mind that really helped you kind of navigate that journey? Well, I didn't, uh, I can't point to anyone except that my professors who were very uh, instrumental in terms of uh, being uh, able to really share uh, knowledge with me and teach me how to really write 
uh, and articulate my thoughts in a written form, uh, I would say uh, Professor Podholm was at Bowdoin at that time, and Professor Rinchenbrink uh, were two professors who uh, had my interest in, at heart and helped me to really uh, analyze and focus and, and put my thoughts together, uh, which would allow me to be a better uh, thinker and uh, someone who could really uh, put our thoughts into paper, I mean, to write about it. And so those, I think those two people were instrumental, but prior to them, the real motivating factors uh, were in terms of even that motivated me, you know, even to go to college to really focus on studying uh, was the, uh, the Nation of Islam and Minister Malcolm X reading all his material. And so those are some motivate, those are some, uh, intellectual uh, motivators uh, who really um, uh, inform me of the importance of education and, and getting all the knowledge you can in order to help uh, move the race ahead. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And and I also just wanted to say thank you as well, too. I know this was a while ago and I mentioned it, but um, just being in that room with you with other five of the students and hearing about all of the one like amazing things, but kind of you being a black man and, and navigating the space and you kind of reaching out as a resource. I, I really do appreciate that. Cause that, that honestly inspired me in that moment. I was in a little bit of a, a rough rut trying to figure out kind of what I was doing, navigating Bowdoin. So I appreciate you speaking to some young black folk and um, showing us that there's, um there's always a way to do something great. Um, just from meeting the right person and being an advocate for other people. So I really do appreciate that. Well, I think that, you you know, uh, thank you for your appreciation. Uh, But I think that as as we look around today, uh, one of the problems Mm -hmm. I'm seeing in terms of education and also in terms of equality uh, is that we have to uh, learn how to think outside of the box. And that was really important mm-hmm. for me also in terms of Bowdoin, um, creating the intellectual tools and sharpening the intellectual tools to think beyond the, the initial problem, uh, but think about causes mm-hmm. and understanding um, those causes and developing uh, theory and uh, concepts around how to address those issues or problems that you're confronted with. Uh, mm. As I look at education, it's multi-tiered, and, and you have mm. to have people who can really think theoretically and practically about how to solve and address those issues that we as a people and, uh, are confronted with. You chatted a little bit about it just now, but... As I sense from meeting both of you, you and um, Jeff, Jeffrey Canada are like two peas in a pod, spreading kind and effusive energy just from a quick interaction. Um, but I just wanted to get a little bit of insight. And if you could tell me a little bit about how that brotherhood started and your friendship to this day. Well, the brotherhood started, you know, I was a year ahead of him at Bowdoin. Uh, but on Bowdoin, we had the... the, the um, Afro, Af- African-American society, uh, which was really beneficial 
to a lot of a lot of the blacks who were there because it gave us a place to go and cool out and chill out and talk about issues uh, that were mm. we were confronting in our communities. So at one point, I was the president of the African American Society, and uh, through those, those conversations with Jeff and others and and upperclassmen, uh, we talked a lot about the importance of moving ahead and moving the race ahead and how we're going to use these uh, very expensive educations. You know, it's not just a question of of uh, getting a job and getting a house and raising kids. I mean, that's all that stuff is important. But we uh, felt that the the uh, Bowden offered us an opportunity to to be able to go above and beyond uh, the norm and to think outside of the box. And so, and it wasn't all all study all the time and and, and politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot of great parties at at, both, at, at the Apple M House. <laughs> great parties there, you know. But I would get up, I would make sure I got to the party. I would study to about 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock and then go to the party. And then I would go to the party and then turn it out, right? And <laughs> go and I would turn it out. But I would study first, right? I made sure I got my got my work in first. So, um, so you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a good time and challenging times at the same time. Uh, because, of course, we had to deal with the subtle racism. Um, I never had any outright racism when I was there, but uh, some of my mm-hmm. colleagues did. Um, but I, but uh, the thing is that we had a place where we could sit down and be ourselves um, and mm-hmm. focus and also have a great time at the same time. That was really important to us. Mm, that's amazing and I definitely that st- stands true to this day I think that was definitely a, a community that I deeply valued while I was at Bowdoin it was be, just to be myself relax be with those people that really care about you I think that was something that a lot of people valued and I know I speak for many many of my friends that experienced that for sure yes 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 wanted to continue on and ask um, I know you're currently you're the president and founder of Urban Leadership Consultants. Uh, just wanted to hear a little bit about your company and the value that you bring through it. Yeah, that that is a um, something that I was always interested in in terms of how to organize and manage. And one of the th- things I find that is missing in for-profit and non-profit organizations um, is the question of training. Um, uh, and execution of strategic objectives or plans. And those things uh, seem to be missing in those two areas, profit and nonprofit. For example, um, $160 billion is used every year for training uh, in America. Uh, $360 million, billion, I'm sorry, real, worldwide. Worldwide, mm-hmm. so it's 160 billion in America, 360 billion worldwide. Uh, and studies have shown, uh, this was in the Harvard Business Review, that very little of those strategic mm-hmm. plans and objectives were achieved, and uh, mm-hmm. less than 10 percent. And so, one of the things that I focus on as a um, 
strategic manager and trainer is the importance of how to execute those strategic plans, how to make sure that they are being used, how to make sure that your team that has been trained follows through in terms of taking that knowledge and actually using it, not for a week or two weeks or a year, but to actually mm-hmm. execute uh, uh, policies uh, for, for the long term. So, so those are some of the concerns that I have and some of the, um, some of the concepts that I'm using in, in terms of working with different types of executive directors and CEOs around uh, execution of uh, strategic objectives and training and how, and how do you train, what's the best way to train. So, so those are some of the things that I toy around with. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I since I re- technic- technically retired from Hall Children's Home, I say technically because I still do some work for them, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I find that uh, working with for-profit, non-profit, the issues are uh, basically the same. Uh, execution, obviously, motivation, mm-hmm. right, innovation. Uh, those are some of the uh, ideas that are shared by for and nonprofit organizations or companies. So my my mm-hmm. objective is to see that uh, leaders uh, have a grasp on how to uh, make sure that their uh, strategic objectives or goals are reached and how to and how to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's basically what I'm doing now. Now I don't have I don't want a lot of clients. I have about three or four right now. That's what I that's what I can work with. You know, I do put people on a waiting list. So if anyone's interested, they can always contact me. But um perfect. But the question of of uh motivation and, and execution and uh and thinking clearly and and making sure that the whole organization uh, from the top managers down to the janitors understand what the strategic objective is. And more importantly, what is mm-hmm. your role, even if it's middle management mm-hmm. uh, or lower management? What is your role in making sure that uh, the uh, goals of the organization uh, are met? Yeah. And even on that note, um, you talked a little bit about like executive, um, executive presence, strategic um, I wanted to know and ask you from being on important boards from places like Bowdoin and NYU, um, when you're in these rooms where important decisions are made, were there any challenges you faced being a black man early in your early on when you first started out? Oh, yeah. Even now, you know, um, the, the co- mm-hmm. color means a lot in America, you know, uh, mm-hmm. color says a lot in America. Uh, and so mm-hmm. when you're in these uh, settings, they expect you to to talk a certain way, uh, to use a certain language, um, and and it's basically assumed that uh, that you don't have quite the pedigree uh, to be sitting mm-hmm. in these conferences, uh, and that's all subtle, uh, but it's mm-hmm. really obvious to a lot of black people. We pick it up right away. Uh, and mm-hmm. so people are not colorblind. They're not culture blind. Uh, they're not blind to what's happening in the media. Uh, the media impacts everyone. 
whether you're on the right, the mm-hmm. left, or the center. Um, and so you you deal with that. Like I expect it, you know. I expect because people are just different, mm-hmm. and so I don't have a. I'm not hung up over it, you know. It's like okay, mm-hmm. that's what you believe. That's what you were brought up. You were brought up in Scarsdale, and and you went to Yale, and and so and Harvard, and and so that's your world, you know. And you and you have a mm-hmm. world view, but I'm not here to change you, you know. I'm not into change mode, mm-hmm. and I'm into just basic respect, you know. If there's some disrespect, mm-hmm. you'll hear about it from me, but mm-hmm. uh, but in terms of what you believe in terms of your culture and how you brought up, I'm not in, into changing people's minds. I can't change people's minds. You know, I got to just be myself. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's mm-hmm. the way I approach it. Mutual respect. That's mm-hmm. all I, that's all I look for. Got you, got you. And I, I think that's that's a perfect point, just unapologetically being yourself. And obviously I'm still early on my career and still learning how to make sure that I am being myself, I'm being authentic to who I am, and then also sharing my ideas and thoughts as they come out. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you, and I think that definitely it's a, it's a journey for sure trying to to do that, but I think that's something that I'll be sure to impart with me to just, just being yourself and don't let anyone change that, or don't change anyone else in thinking that you have to. Absolutely, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not into uh, uh, changing how you think. You know, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. How you think is how you think. Mm-hmm. I'm me, you know, and I have mm-hmm. to address you and respect you, uh, you know, and, and 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 I would do that, you know. But I'm not into changing your mind about anything. I'm not. I'm not a change agent. That's up to you mm-hmm. and your religion or culture or whatever. Uh, you have to come mm-hmm. to those decisions about how you want that's to view the world. I'm not here to change your worldview. That's not me. Mm-hmm. I don't have those type of skills. Thank you, George. No, I appreciate that. That's very insightful, seriously. Um, and to close off, this is the last question that I wanted to ask you, but to anyone that is trying to figure out their path and starting their careers, uh, what is a piece of insight you would impart with them? Well, I would, I would, for someone who's just starting out, I would, number one, have an honest assessment of your particular skills. Think about, you know, what you do well. Uh, think about, you know, things you want to do better and and try to marry those two things and, and look for areas or companies or, or businesses or that you might feel you have a good fit, you know? Um, and sometimes you might have to do a detour. Like, like I think I mentioned that at one point I worked on Wall Street for a minute, not for long, but for a minute. Um, to very practical, I was married with three children at the time, and I needed some, I needed some money. So, <laughs> so and, and did the things that I wanted to do in terms of education. So I didn't stay that long. But you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you have to do a detour, and uh, and don't mm-hmm. be. And don't be a, get uptight about it, you know. It's just like you something I had to do, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in order to get to where I wanted to get to ultimately, you know. Mm-hmm. And and things happen in life, you know. Uh, when I was when I got my master's after a number of years, uh, finishing Bowden, I just had I was going to go to Washington D.C. to do policy and education, but I happened to mm-hmm. run into my good friend Jeffrey, who I hadn't seen in many years. 
and he uh, gave me this opportunity. Thank you, George. One for all of this um, great information, and I hope that a lot of people listening will be able to take a, a lot of great insight from it. And um, and then two again, just thank you for being a, a great shining light for for not only me but a lot of other. Um, uh, students as well, just seeing all the amazing, great things that you've done in your career, just helping a lot of um, students, um, especially from Parliament itself too. But yeah, I just want to give you my, my big thanks and appreciation for taking the time to talk with me and, and sharing some of your, your knowledge and wisdom. Thank you again for listening, and a big thank you to James Van Corp for mixing and mastering this episode, and Quarter for producing music this season. You can find their info on the contact page of my website, theimpactpod.com, If you haven't already, please leave a five-star review if you're loving the podcast so far. And remember, leave an impact wherever you go, no matter the scale, as long as you're making yourself and those around you better every day. Until next week.